In this episode, our guest Celeste Carrasco shares with us an incident that happened that completely changed the direction of her life. That's coming right up. You did it. You have found your judgment-free zone, the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hemphill, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today. And now let's jump into today's Dose of Money Confidence. Aquí estamos. We are here for yet another episode and I've got a guest for you today. This is Jen Hempel, your host. And today we've got Celeste Carrasco. I'm going to share with you a little bit about her. She is a director of federal public affairs for AT&T, is responsible for executing national strategies that achieve corporate legislative and regulatory objectives, presenting company positions to external stakeholders in key issue areas and managing community partnerships with nonprofit organizations in the Latino corporate social responsibility and consumer advocacy communities. It's an exciting interview and you're going to learn so much from Celeste. In today's interview, you're going to learn how her money story involved a focus on the importance of education as well as what happened at five years of age that caused her to lose her vision in one eye and how it left an emotional strain on the family, as well as how this accident led her to largely advocate for families with disabilities and three tips that have helped her have a successful career in the corporate sector. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Celeste. I'm excited to connect with you today and really learn more about you because I got to meet you and I was really impressed uh, with what I saw. So I'm excited to do this. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, you are most welcome. Let's get started with your money story because we are always eager to know this. So take us back in time. Tell us where you were raised what you remember seeing, hearing, experiencing when it comes to money? So I was born in Argentina. I'm from Buenos Aires originally. And money, it's interesting. It wasn't something that we talked about. But I, I feel I was very fortunate because it wasn't abundant, but it wasn't missing. And, you know, I, I'm always very cognizant of that that was indeed a blessing that I grew up in a in a wonderful environment in which I didn't have to wonder where um food was going to come from or protections that um money affords come from where I know is a reality for a great majority of people in the world I understood from an early age that as as blessed as I was, it wasn't the norm. And my parents raised me that way. They raised me to understand that 
you know, money isn't everything, but it affords a lot of protections and benefits that not having money deprives you of. But their focus was always on education. And they always said, no matter how little money or how much money we have, you should always focus on getting your education because that is what is going to guarantee, or at least, you know, within what, how, how they saw the world, that it was going to guarantee a, a, a good future, not only for me, but for my siblings as well. So that's how my story began. Wonderful. So it sounds like that they did speak to you about money or, or you mentioned there was no talk about money, but you really got the lesson or there was a theme happening in terms of that money wasn't everything, but it afforded some benefits. So would you say they sat you down and talked to you about a little bit about that or it was just in what you observed? It was weaved in. It was okay. part of our, of our value system. So money wasn't taboo. It, but it also wasn't everything that we talked about. And whenever there was an opportunity for a lesson to be shared, my, you know, I remember my parents and also my grandparents, you know, would always sit me down and, and have that conversation with. So whether it was, I really, really want that doll or I really, really want that game. And now as an adult, I know that my parents took that as an opportunity to not, I don't want to say spoil, but to to teach me the value of, I guess it was more like a life value, not so much the, the value of money, but they wanted me to put more weight on things that were not material possessions. And I, I find myself doing the same with my daughter. You know, I, I have the means to buy her whatever she desires, you know, that, that she saw on some advertisement. But I sit her down and I'm like, mommy, you know, we don't have money to spend on this. Can we try to do something else or can we do something that doesn't require money? And I, you know, I try to encourage her to, you know, to understand that her well-being and her happiness in particular, her, you know, how those two inter intersect don't have to be uh, directly related to the items that she owns, but rather, you know, the experiences that she has in life. So. That's just my own personal belief. I love it. I love it. Now, when you were five, something happened that really made an impact in your life. Will you tell us a little bit about this? Oh, sure. So very headstrong little girl at five. And, uh, you know, I, I was uh, like the little Tasmanian devil around the house. And uh, my parents couldn't take their eyes off me without because I, I was always in trouble. I was always touching something, dropping something, trying to climb onto something, you know, and, and, you know, this isn't, I'm not sharing this to, to make people feel pity for me, but rather, you know, just, it shaped me. So I had an accident when I was five. And uh, because of that little Tasmanian devil uh, personality of mine, and um, I lost vision in my right eye. And it really put a lot of, um, a strain on my family. You know, it wasn't a financial strain. It was a, an emotional strain as to, you know, how do we deal with this horrendous accident? This little girl is going to grow up. You know, I had from probably from their perspective, the world ahead of me. And all of a sudden, I just 
became partially disabled because of a, a, a an accident. And uh, and um, you know, I was lucky to have a mom that was young because my mom had me when I was twenty, so this she was twenty five. And um, she had all the fortitude in the world to help me overcome my own, you know, challenges and emotional challenges of not wanting to go back to school, of not wanting to be seen as different. Of, I mean, this woman, I don't know where she got the strength, but she pulled me out of a, a very slippery slope and she helped me become the woman that I am today. And I, you know, I would not change one thing. I, it, it's the part of me is who I am is it helps me drive my decisions. And, and I understand that I am blessed and, and it defines me. So it's, it's, it was a tragedy at the time, but it's a, it's a blessing because I am who I am because of the things that I have experienced in my life. I love that perspective. Now, so later on, I presume because of of this experience that you had, you became really involved in the community in terms of supporting uh, people with disabilities. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, when you know, it's it's one of those things that you either embrace your your disability or you reject it. I mean, I'm sure there is an in between in there, but I'm just going to simplify it. And I embrace who, uh, who I am, and uh, but I also understand that everybody faces different challenges, and the world is not necessarily tailored for people that face those challenges on a daily basis. So I, you know, I, I'm very empathetic to people in general, and um, when I have opportunities to either be the voice that represents the needs of those communities. And it's not just the disabled community. I mean, it's just any community that, that requires to, to have a voice be represented. I'm, you know, I'm not shy about being that voice. And uh, I, I consider it a privilege. I consider it an honor to, to be able to speak on behalf of, of my community. And sometimes it's through third being the you know, the not necessarily the best voice, but sometimes you're the only voice. So I always try to at least raise awareness and hope that they invite the experts to the table the next time around so that it provides a path to a, a better dialogue. So sometimes you're not, you know, you're not the expert, but just you're, you could be the disruptor that says, hey, this can be better and let's bring some people that can make it better. Right. And something that you, that you said after your accident, you said it was your family experience more of an emotional strain rather than a financial strain. Mm-hmm. So with your ex- experience and being involved and being very supportive and being the voice for a community with families with disabilities, what have you seen or uh, observed has been some of the biggest financial challenges? Oh my God, this, you know, disabilities you need a level playing field sometimes. And in order to make a level playing field, it takes money. So if, if your mobility is challenged, if you have money, you can get, you know, some really great technology that can help you with those mobility challenges. But if you don't have the money or you don't have the resources, then 
where other people are blessed by having that technology bridge that gap, you know, you have to live with your disability without any help. And that, that just makes it incredibly challenged. You know, there are people that have hearing problems that get operations, that get implants, that allow them to hear. And there are, you know, people that don't have access to that sort of medical technology will remain deaf for the rest of their lives. So money plays a huge role as to how the disability community, um, op, you know, the, the access to some of those things that can help make it easier. You know, blind people in, in certain parts of the world have to use a cane in, you know, in the more developed countries. They can have glasses with cameras that guide them through the city. So, you know, money makes a difference. That, that's really the way, the only way that I can say. No, it makes sense. And do you see initiatives or I presume there would be advocacy groups or to try to see or to try to come up with solutions? I don't know if with a, whether it'd be in the form of fundraising or I, I don't know how it would look like to really level that playing field. Have you seen that or how, what oh, does that look like? Oh, my goodness. It? Yes. There, you know, there are a lot of advocacy organizations and, you know, working in, in, in DC, you get to see, um, you know, you have people that are advocating for the blind, people that are advocate, advocating for the deaf and for the independent living. Um, you know, uh, I mean, you name it, and it there is an organization that that is out there supporting it. The biggest challenge becomes, once again, we are geography bound. So in the United States, all of these great things happen. Like you can't have a, a public space without it being accessible. But the minute that I travel and my mom remember a disability getting older is a disability too. So my mom travels with a walker and she her mobility is impacted. So when we travel and we don't it's not that we're going to anywhere, you know, uh, too remote, but you know, we go to Spain and sometimes the bathrooms are two flights down the stairs. And you know, there's just no regard for the needs of those with limited mobility. I think it's just that there is, you know, there's no, or maybe there's limited advocacy to make it into law. In the United States, we are very much aware of the uh, American Disabilities Act. And so everything has to be ADA compliant. But in the rest of the world, it's kind of like, oh, you're, you have a disability. Well, good luck with that. So it's, it's a little sad, but hopefully the rest of the world will catch up eventually. Because it's, it's crazy how your life, either, I mean, it all depends if you were born with a disability or life changed for you, like in the case of you, yourself, mm-hmm. where there was an accident, how much we take for granted. Like, for example, my son just broke his leg. He has a fracture. So this is just temporary. So mm-hmm. just even the fact of being on crutches, and there's still some things, I mean, he, he tries to do a lot of things himself, but it's incredible how your perspective really shifts and how you view your surroundings, because some things that are simple to do mm-hmm. aren't so simple anymore, right? Yeah, when and you are able to body, um, you take a lot of things for granted. And 
and all of a sudden, if you are traveling on a on wheels on a wheelchair, it, it you know ramps become so essential. And you know it it wasn't until recently where those little ramps at the end of a curb when you're about to cross the street that were installed, so that people could actually you know, go down one end and up the, you know, cross the street and up the other end. It was, impo- imagine doing that with a full curb, like it's, it's impossible. So that limits the mobility, you know, the access to things for somebody who has um, a wheelchair. And of course, they make, you know, the, the cities make it accessible for wheelchairs and we all benefit because, you know, people with carriages benefit, people you know, I know that when I travel with luggage, I benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So the, the reality is when you make this world more accessible, you make it better for everyone. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. Now, you are in a great position at AT&T as the Director of Federal Public Affairs. So for the Latina who is aspiring to be, to do bigger things in her career, or even just thinking, you mentioned you have a daughter, what are the top two to three tips that have helped you get to where you are today? So I think perseverance has been uh, at the top of my list. And I, I never, it's an important um, quality to have because we tend to give up easily. I think as human beings, I don't think it applies to everyone, but I'm going to say that the majority of us are like, we try it, it doesn't work. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to, just going to move on from this. It wasn't meant to be. <laughs> but I think the older I get, and I don't want to say that I get any wiser. I think I just finally get to understand a little bit better as I get older, is that the people that have succeeded, that have found success, it's because they don't give up. It's because they keep trying. And, you know, we only see the success story from the outside. And we sometimes make that huge leap of assumptions, thinking that they woke up that morning and, you know, Eureka, I found the answer. <laughs> and that now a nice success story that took right. 20 years to make it. I know, I know. Or, you know, we all, you know, the kids learn in school that, you know, Thomas Edison didn't just, you know, didn't figure out the light bulb on his first try. On the contrary, I think he tried like 2000 different models before he actually mm-hmm. found one filament that actually worked. So, you get really great at failing and not giving up. And I think that is just an important attribute of you can't give up. And I'm not saying keep trying the same thing over and over again. I'm, I just keep saying you just have to keep trying in that direction until success is found or something that you're trying to achieve is completed. And, and that, you know, I, I know it's a long-winded answer, but perseverance has been such an important component. And I'll give you another one because I know that uh, you asked for three, but I'll give you two. Being positive. I, I, I think that, you know, my life has been uh, a huge 
bundle of positivity. And I, I honestly think that that truly ties back into my accident and, and my mother just feeding that, um, that bucket full of positive thoughts and look at the world from the positive. And, you know, she would, she would always say things could always be worse. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're blessed. Just, you know, you can't focus on the, the half full glass type of mm-hmm look, you know, the pessimism that we all tend to um, feel so comfortable around. It's, uh, it just takes a little bit more energy to be on the, you know, the positive side of that and say, hey, things are going to get better. Things are, you know, are going to get easier. Just keep chugging at it. And, um, and that has been a, a long life lesson that no matter what is thrown my way, I will look at the positive uh, side of it and um, truly make lemon lemonade out of lemons that that are given to me. No, I agree. And plus with, with the positivity or if you choose to be positive or you choose to be negative, you can always find facts or find things to support what the, your way of thinking, whether positive or negative. And it's just, it's crazy how that is because you can choose to be successful or you can choose to just give up and then your mind will help you find ways to do so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We always, we always look for the supporting evidence for sure. Exactly. Exactly. And we can always find it, whether it's in the positive light or in the negative light. We always find it. (laughs) I agree. Oh my goodness. This is awesome. Now in your time in the corporate sector, what, uh, this is the last one of the last questions I want to ask is, what are some of the changes or initiatives that you have seen uh, to improve the pay of women? So really to try to uh, get closer to that equal pay. So equal pay, it really, you know, believe it or not, the more awareness we bring to it, um, the better it's going to be for everyone because uh, we just basically need HR not only in large corporations, but also in small corporations to be, to be blind. You know, HR needs to look at a candidate and based on skills, the job title, the opportunities, the experience, and assign the number regardless of gender. And when, when HR does that blind assignment, then we, we all succeed. And one of the things that I'm incredibly happy about working for AT&T is that that really is the, the model that we use. And I think also in the, um, and I can't quote it, but I, my understanding is that the government also uses pay scales that aren't, you know, they're not gender biased. So basically, if, if that's your title, that's how much you get paid. And you know, that's what it is. The problem later on becomes the human intervention of promotions, the human intervention mm-hmm. of, of pay increases and bonus and making those decisions. I do believe that get influenced by just human behavior in general. And, and people make decisions based on preconceived biases that they have. And we just have to work on that. So we can fix the initial pay number by having HR being a, a kind of like a, a systematic hiring approach. But what we need to work on is what happens once you're in the company and 
you know, two people are up for a promotion, one is a man, one is a woman, can the the decision be made with the same disregard for gender as the hiring? So are we there yet as a society? Uh, I don't believe so. I think people still have a lot of biases that we all carry around. And it's, this isn't pointing outward. This is just a reality for everyone. But being aware of it, I think, would make us better decision makers in the future. Love it. Love the perspective. Well, this has been amazing. Now we're going to wrap it up with what I call the Cheeseman Express. So uh, gossip in a positive way. <laughs> so we're going to learn five random facts about you. So the first right. question is one thing that not many people know about Argentina. That not many people know. Oh, boy. We're actually really nice people. <laughs> they don't know that? <laughs> no, I think a lot of people assume that that we're conceited and we think we're better than everyone else. And and I, I do believe that we've had our share of people that, that that's what they translate to. But in reality, the majority of Argentinians are very nice people. <laughs> How about the proudest moment of your career? Of my career? Oh, oh, no, I don't know that. Seeing direct reports of mine be great managers is probably the, the, the proudest moment because I know that they learn their, their skills um, from me. I, I spend a lot of time coaching. so Love it. Love it. And I can see why you're a good coach just hearing you speak. <laughs> you are a proud Latina because? Uh, because it's, it's an amazing culture and it's something to be proud of. And I, I think... People are trying to convince us otherwise that we shouldn't be proud and we can't really sign on to that belief. We, we got to be proud of who we are, where we come from, uh, what we represent, our history, good and bad. You know, I'm not going to say that, that we are like stellar in our history, but this is where we come from and this is who we are and let's be proud. And, and as long as we stick together, and I think that's the key. That's why I'm proud of being a Latino is that we, we have so much to stand for. Love it. And what's a hobby that you have? Share with us. A hobby. Oh, my goodness. Um, social media is my hobby. Uh, <laughs> it is. Um, I work very hard on developing my um, personal brand online. And uh, it's the only way that I could actually make it a full a reality was if I actually made it my hobby. So that's what I do for fun is polish my social media. Love it. And what is a compliment that people give you the most? That I have a great smile. Love it. I can see it. I can see it. Well, this has been amazing, Celeste. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate all the that you shared today with us. And please continue being the person you are because you are definitely an example for the Latina community. So I appreciate you. What did you think of Celeste? I think she is a fantastic and phenomenal woman. And let's recap real quickly what we talked about. You learn about her money story and how her family focus on the importance of education. There wasn't a lot of talk about money, but it was more focused on getting a great education, as well as you learn about the accident at five years of age that where she lost her vision. 
And notice that she mentioned it left an emotional strain on her family. There was no talk of a financial strain, which I found that interesting. And you'll also learn how this accident really led the direction of her life, a part of her life, right? Where things that she was going to focus on, things that she was passionate about. And that was one of those things is advocating for families with disabilities. And she also shared those three fantastic tips that have helped her have a successful career in the corporate sector, which are definitely some things to take note on. If you have been listening to all of this month's episodes, you know that we have been discussing the importance belief has in our lives to include our financial lives. And I'm curious, how do you think a belief has shown up in Celeste's life? I want you to think about that for a moment. And I'm going to share with you my thoughts, of course. For me, I think it showed up in a few instances based on the things that she shared with us. I'm sure it showed up in other areas, but based on what she shared with us today, Number one was her belief in the need and the role she had in advocating for families with disabilities. That was, I think, very key and important in her life, as well as belief also was present in her career and setting an example for her daughter. You notice that she spoke about her daughter and really setting a great example and sharing the values that she has. So I thought belief was present for her in those areas, even though I'm sure it was present in other areas as well. You can connect with Celeste over at LinkedIn. I have, you can look for Celeste Carrasco over on LinkedIn, and I have the link for you in today's show notes. Now let's move on to the reina of the week. This week, it is Jessica. She shared that she has increased the percentage that she puts away for her retirement by another 5%. And I completely loved hearing that. When you assess quarterly, which this is what I always recommend, assess quarterly, like how you're doing financially, how are you doing on those financial goals? Challenge yourself to increase how much you're putting away, whether it's for retirement, whether it's for emergency savings, you determine what your priorities are and what is the most important in this time of your life. It doesn't matter how much. The, the Really, the challenge is to increase it. And chances are that you won't miss this money because out of sight, out of mind. It's basically accounted for for other things, just like the money that you pay for rent or, or the money that you spend on groceries. It's accounted for. It's out of sight, out of mind. So I want you to think about that. Now, as you know, as I mentioned earlier, we have been focusing on belief this month. I also shared how I was doing something scary for me that needs a ton of belief to make it happen. This being the podcast live event. I'll be honest, I felt good in moving forward, but then there have been times where that lack of belief wanted to creep back in. In fact, it has crept back in from time to time where I would have moments of freaking out and think to myself, what in the world am I doing? I can't do this. So I had to reel myself back in and remind myself that this is really not about me. Granted, it is about me in the sense that I want to prove myself that I can do it. But really, the bigger part of this 
is the impact in helping others like you and helping other women become reinas of their money. The lesson being, when you get scared and think you can't pay off that unseemingly large amount of student loans, for example, think about the why behind wanting to pay that debt, not the guilt or the shame that you feel behind it. Remember, it's not about that guilt or that shame, but rather the big why for doing this. Anyways, and working on that belief alongside with you, if you're wanting to move forward to claiming and becoming the reign of your money, be sure to get on the wait list for the Her Dinero Matters live event so you can get all the fun updates and announcements as they develop at jenhemphill.com forward slash live event. Next week, we virtually travel to Honduras where we meet Alan Caffey, a Latina who is shaking up and impacting the financial lives of many there. That is it. Eso es todo. Thank you for taking out time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. Be sure to check, check out the show notes at jenhempel.com forward slash 201 to refer back to everything you need to know. Remember this, you can be the reina of your money starting now. You don't have to wait. The choice is in your hands. You've got this. I believe in you. Tú puedes. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Talk to you next Thursday. Ciao. I love it. You are still here. Chances are you are loving the podcast. So I've got a really cool option for you. Join us on the Himalaya app where you can not only subscribe, but join the Cafecito Lounge. In the Cafecito Lounge, I help you take your weekly experience on the podcast a level deeper by providing you a space to chat, ask questions, take action, and go deeper on your own financial journey for only $7.99 a month. For more details, go to Himalaya.com forward slash dinero, that's with a capital D, and I will see you in the Cafecito Lounge, only available on Himalaya.